Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's just open in prayer. Can we just stand one more time and pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts today? Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word will not return void. It will accomplish what it's sent forth to accomplish. And God, I ask that you would speak to all of us today and let us walk away with a better revelation of who you are, a better revelation of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. What is it to be a disciple? You know, God has called us to be disciples, not just Christians, but to be disciples. I talked last week about the, the actual word Christian. It actually, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26 And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so that word Christian in the Bible was only used three times. That's it. But the word believer is used 26 times. And the word disciple is used 260 times. So how many, how many know it's important that we understand what, what it is to be a disciple? And a disciple is always identified with their teacher, all right? Uh, when you're a disciple, your world revolves around a teacher, someone that you're following, someone you're trying to be like. In other words, the disciples, the early church, their goal was to be carbon copies of Jesus. They wanted, they wanted to look at Jesus and say, how, Jesus, how would you deal with this situation, you know? What would you do in this situation? We talked last week about what would Jesus do. Remember the bracelets? And so we want to mimic Jesus. We want to do what Jesus does. Why? Because we're disciples. We want to be carbon copies of Jesus. Amen? And Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so one of the things that Jesus gave us, uh, and he's asked us to be disciples, not just Christians are not just believers, but to be disciples, to be carbon copies, to be followers of him. One of the things he's given us is he gave the Great Commission. A lot of people don't know if you say, hey, what's the Great Commission? They have no idea. Uh, And the Great Commission was the mandate that Jesus uh, left for us as a church, something he wants us to do. What is our job after salvation? So we want to look at that a bit this morning. And we want to look at the gospel a little bit this morning to see what the gospel is. And then how we can, you know, reach the world. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So there's there's a baptism into Christ, and then there's a keeping of the commandments. Okay? And, And be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so we, we, we have to make disciples of, of all nations. We have to be out sharing the gospel. But I think that we have to have a clear understanding of what the gospel is, right? A lot of people don't realize what, what the gospel is really about. And so I have a little video here explaining the gospel, okay? Now, what it's going to do is it's going to explain the gospel presented from a Catholic point of view and then from a Protestant point of view, okay? And it's not to put down the Catholics. I'm just showing the difference in theology in, in what we believe, okay? So let's go ahead and play that. Biblical Christianity is justification by faith alone in Christ alone. 
Justification is God declaring us righteous even though we are guilty of sin. We see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works so that no man may boast. And so this is the great dividing line between biblical Christianity during the Reformation and the Roman Catholic religion. The official position of the Roman Catholic Church on justification is that they believe that you are justified by faith plus works. In fact, at the Council of Trent, which people refer to as the Counter-Reformation, they actually issued an anathema. If anybody believes that they are justified by faith alone, they are condemned under the anathema of the Council of Trent. And so the Roman Catholic Church actively was opposing and cursing those who were holding a biblical gospel. It is often called the plus religion because Catholicism teaches that you are saved by faith plus works, by grace plus merit, by Christ plus other mediators, according to scripture plus tradition, and for the glory of God as well as the glory of Mary and other saints. When you look at the Roman Catholic plan of salvation, it is a salvation of works and sacraments. In the Roman Catholic plan of salvation, baptism cleanses an infant from original sin. And that is the sacrament of regeneration as well as justification. That it starts them off on this plan, on this track. Along the way, however, they can commit these small sins, venial sins, which plunges them back down. And heaven forbid they commit a mortal sin, which knocks them completely off the plan of salvation and he must now receive sacraments. He must confess his sins to a priest, which is the sacrament of penance. And then he must be re-justified by doing good works, by doing penance. And once he is re-justified, then he must maintain his salvation through sacraments. And if, in the end, if they have enough people praying for them, and if they do enough time in purgatory, they might possibly get to heaven. How they get to heaven is based on what they do rather than what Christ has done. But the Bible teaches there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the work has been done. He saves you totally, completely, perfectly. And even though, yes, we sin and can repent, the sacrifice of Christ has paid for those sins. And so there is assurance that he has saved you, he has plucked you out of the world, you're in the palm of his hand, and nobody can pluck you out of his hand. And so that's why the reformers cried the five solas, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. That message has always found opposition. And the Jerusalem Council, and we read about it in the book of Acts, actually addressed this very same issue. The rabbis and the Judaizers were saying to the Christians that God will accept you by His grace through faith and your keeping of the ceremonial laws, being circumcised, washing your hands, keeping the food laws. And the entire church agreed, as summarized by uh, the Apostle Peter's statement, that that is not the good news. That's not the gospel. Jesus didn't come to make salvation possible for those who do their part. He came to accomplish it and to give it freely to all of his people. The question is, well, 
How do we know if faith is real if there's no works? Doesn't the Bible say faith without works is dead? And so don't we have to do works to be saved? Isn't that the argument? Is that what we have to be doing? But there's two understandings of that, and one's biblical, one's not. So the Roman Catholic view of salvation, and really any works-based system of salvation, takes works and puts it at the root and says that works plus your faith in Jesus is what produces salvation. But the Bible teaches that it's not the root, it's actually the fruit, that your faith alone in Jesus, that is what saves. And then a, a life that has been saved, a sanctified, regenerated heart, produces fruit, the yeah, fruit of good. good works. And so you know a person's been saved be because of their fruit. Amen? And so, so this is really important that we understand first and foremost that salvation it, it, it's, or right standing with God, it's a gift from God that we respond to. It's not something we can work up. We, we actually respond to a gift that God has already accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And actually says here, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, God saved you. Who saved you? God. By his grace when you believed. And so our part is to believe what he already accomplished. Look what it says. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. All right? Salvation is not a reward for doing good things we have done. So no one of us can boast about it. Isn't that awesome? And so it was a work of God. You know, how many know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? There's nothing we can do to attain righteousness. And so God came by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who took the penalty for our sins so that if we would believe, we can receive it by faith. Salvation is a gift. And, and I think that's where we have, we have to get that in our hearts because many times... We, you know, we're not Catholic, I understand that, but we can become that way where we're telling people, you need to change your life, you need to, you know, repent, and you need to do this and this and this, and they haven't even met the Savior yet. They haven't even understood the good news of the gospel, and this is what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, say to us, the word of reconciliation. Now, reconciling, reconciling means to change or to exchange as coins for others of equal value. So he, he exchanged his righteousness. He took our sin upon himself, and he said, I'm going to give you freely my righteousness. This, was, this is the plan of salvation. Because we can't, we can't uh, obtain goodness in ourselves. We need to receive his righteousness. So God, Jesus was, God was in Christ reconciling, bringing the world to himself, changing the situation, not imputing, which means not taking into account people's sin. Right? And that's, that's the beauty of the gospel, that we can go up to people and say, listen, God's not holding your sin against you anymore. Your sin's been paid for on the cross of Calvary. All you have to do is appropriate it by saying, okay, I I choose to accept the fact that you died for my sins, and I appropriate that gift. I'll take the gift. Amen? And so people think, if I come to Christ, it's all about God wants me to change everything. No, God will change everything once you receive the free gift. Does that make sense? And if we go back here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it says, Now then, Paul is speaking, he says, We are ambassadors. An ambassador is a representative. 
He says, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. For he has made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin at all, to, made, to be made sin for us. Right? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So God, God always moves first and we respond to God. That's what, that's what the gospel is. Religion always puts man in the driver's seat. Religion always says, you know what? You need to do this. You need to do that. In, in order for God to accept you, you need to control your life. You've got to do all this stuff. But how many know our God always takes the first step? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God went looking for them and said, Adam, where are you? Now, I, I bet you God knew where he was. I mean, he created the universe. But he, 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 he pursued them. God is always the pursuer. And even in the Old Testament, when God gives the children of Israel, after he delivers them from Egypt, he gives them the Ten Commandments. I want you to look at this with me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 to 4. He says, verse 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He says, I have taken you, and I have delivered you out of bondage. Then he begins to give the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image. He begins to list all the things. And what he's doing, basically, is God is freeing them first, and then he gives them the new way of life. Can you see that? Moses didn't show up in Egypt and say, well, God has sent me to deliver you, but first I want you to get all your ducks in a row. You've got to get your prayer life figured out. You've got to get your devotion life. You've got to talk to people about God. You have to do all these things. When you get all your ducks in a row, then God will deliver you. Is that what he said? No. He was the God who brought them out of bondage. And I'm here to say today that Egypt is a type and shadow of the world system and the way of sin. And I'm telling you right now, God has delivered us. He has come and he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. And he has placed us in the kingdom of his dear son. We're now part of the kingdom of light. We're part of the kingdom of God. He has rescued us. So now we have the power to change, right? And I can show you that in the scripture. It's so clear. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, say therefore. Since God in his mercy has given us this new way of life. This is, this is the Apostle Paul saying, he's saying, because God in his mercy has given us this new way. What's the new way? The way of the Spirit of God in the heart of man. Salvation. Because God has given, we never give up. You see, God always moves first. God always, he always gives first, and then we respond to his giving. We respond to the Spirit. You see, do you see how that's so clear here? He says, he says um, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. What he's saying, he's saying, because God has first loved us, because God has given us his spirit, we feel we, our responsibility in relationship to God is to love him and please him and not do shameful things. You see, you see how God always moves first by his grace, and we respond, Right? Very clear. Verse 3. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Because Satan and all his minions 
who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand his message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, I got good news for you. If you're not a believer, our prayer team gets together before service, and we pray, God, would you remove the blindfolds? Wherever the enemy has people's hearts blinded from the truth, God, when they walk into this place, we pray that the blindfolders would fall off and they would see your love and mercy. So if you're in this place and you don't know the Lord, you're going to hear what I'm saying today. Amen? God, God is a good God. He wants to save. Now look what our responsibility, say my responsibility, is to appropriate the gift of salvation. It's a gift of God. God moved first. Our job is to respond by faith and say, I receive what you've already done. So it's no longer what would Jesus do, it's what did Jesus do and believe it? You step into the finished work of the cross. You understand that it is finished. Amen? And so let's look at another verse. Because if you become a Christian, those spiritual blinders come off of your eyes. And so we get this uh, picture here in Romans chapter 6, verse 17 to 18. What took place when you accepted the Lord? Verse 17. But God be thanked that through, though you were slaves of sin, okay, you were slaves of sin, say, I was a slave of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of teaching to which you were delivered. So Paul was saying, we delivered a teaching, okay, and when you received the teaching with faith that Jesus is the Son, look at this, and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So when you receive the gospel and you put your faith in the finished work of the cross, that sin nature is broken. And you're no longer a slave to sin. And that's why when I became a Christian, I gave my heart to Christ. You didn't have to tell me. And I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Stop swearing. Shouldn't hang out with those people. They're dealing drugs all the time and doing that stuff. You, you shouldn't, you know, do this. You, shouldn't do, you didn't have to tell me because my heart changed. I didn't want those things. Now, through my journey, of course, we're tempted and sometimes we sin. But then we fall on our face. We say, God, forgive me. But the nature's gone. That, that slave, that control, the slave master is saying, you ha- you just, you're controlled by this, this evil desire. It gets removed. And God gives you a new heart. He puts his spirit within you. And everything changes. How, how many have experienced that? All right? And we have to be very careful when we're talking to people. Say, listen, you know what? I can't explain it, but I know there's a gift of God for you. You can't earn it on your own, you know. All you have to do is say, hey, you're right. I've messed up. I've blown it. I've sinned. But I received the free gift of salvation. And then God begins to go to work in our hearts. Amen? Isn't that what happens? It's a salvation that is a free gift. But what Paul is saying here is you've been set free from sin. Now you become a slave of right living or righteousness. So here's the question. Who sets us free from sin, ourselves or God? It's a work of God in us. And I just, I just really feel that it's important that we always keep that as a central focus when we're talking to people. 
Because many times people that don't know God or are unchurched, they think that we think we're better than them. And I always tell people, I'm not better than you. I don't feel I'm better than you. I feel I'm better off because, I, 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 because of the grace of God. And I want you to have the same grace that I have. So why don't you accept the free gift of salvation? Why don't you be reconciled to God? Don't, don't fight him anymore. The, the price has been paid. Your sins were nailed to the cross. You don't have to carry them to the grave. You just receive it. Say, I receive the free gift of salvation. Thank you, Father, for what you did for me. You took my sin upon you on the cross, and now I can be a new person. My slate can be wiped clean, and I can have a fresh new conscience. And that's what God wants to do in people around us. Right? Say, so he puts his spirit in me. And so when you begin to see the Bible now, I want you to do, I'll give you a little homework assignment for the, for the rest of your life, okay? Every time you read the Bible, every time you read the Bible, though, look at how many, all the times in the scriptures where God first steps out and we respond to him. We see it almost in every verse when you begin to look for it. We see it here in Second uh, Peter 1.3. It says, as my divine power, is that what it says? His. As his divine power has given us all things. I want you to see something here. This is past tense. When you get saved, the Bible says his divine power has given us all things, past tense, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Okay? So, Say, he's given me all things. So when the Spirit of God moves into your life, every, there's a package. It's called the everything package. And everything's in that thing. You say, well, I don't understand. Well, let me give you an example. When Josiah was five, he was probably way too young, but I wanted him to have a four-wheeler. And not the one with the battery. I wanted him to have a four-wheeler with a motor in it. What's that? He was six. Thank you. This is what wives are here for. They... Keep us honest. Um, so he's six years old. I buy him this four-wheeler. It's got an engine in it, right? It's only 50cc, but he's only six, right? And um, I get this thing, and I kind of put it together. It comes in the mail, put the wheels on it, and I'm all excited. And we start it up, and, he, and he's going down the street. And uh, I was excited because it could actually carry my weight, so I was using it too. But uh, having some fun on this little toy. Anyway, he's going down the street, and he's, he's flooring it. And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of jogging like this beside him going, this really sucks. This thing's got no speed in it. Like, that's no good. So I'm thinking, okay, I got ripped off. I got this thing that doesn't even hardly move and this and that. So then I decided I'm going to read the manual. So I pick up the manual, and I start reading it, and there's a revelation. Something popped out of this, this manual. It said this, that there's a limiter screw that limits the throttle. And I probably wouldn't, because it was in a real, it was in a hidden place. I probably wouldn't have noticed unless I read the manual. I'm reading the manual. There's a limiter switch. Cool. So I backed it off, and my son gets on it, and it's like, zoom, he's gone. He's like doing 30 kilometers an hour down the main road. You know, and I'm like trying to run after him. No, 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 right? And this thing just took off. Because there was a limiter screw, and, and, and the Bible says that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And through the knowledge of him, through the scripture, as we get knowledge of God, we find the limiter switches. 
I said, I didn't know this was here. I didn't know that I can walk in victory over my addictions. I didn't know that I could pray for my kids and see them come back to Christ. I didn't know. You begin to see all of these things in the Scripture as you gain knowledge of God. That what It opens up the gift of God which was given. The Spirit of God begins to move in your life in a powerful way. Amen? But all things were given. It's a work of God, right? And the Bible says we've been given a great treasure, and it's our job to search it out. Right? The Bible calls it working out your salvation. Working it out. Right? You know, there was a guy in the 1800s. He was a Baptist minister by the name of Russell Conwell. And he, he would tell stories. He was a good, good storyteller. And people would pay to hear his stories. And one of the stories he used to tell was about a, a Middle Eastern farmer named Ali Hafed, who, who, you know, he was doing okay. He had a farm and he was living on the farm. And uh, there was a Buddhist priest that was coming through and looking for a place to stay. So he put him up in his home. And Ali uh, was talking with the Buddhist priest, and he was telling him about, in his country, how there was these diamonds, um, you know, that would come down through the mountains and sit in the riverbeds, and you could search for these diamonds. And and so Ali got this diamond fever thing going on. He's like, I want to find diamonds. And so he got so caught up with this idea of going overseas to find diamonds that he he left his family, he left everything, and he went overseas and started looking for diamonds where this, this priest told him he could find them. And so he never found the diamonds. He, he searched his whole life, left his family, neglected his, his, his farm, looking for diamonds, looking for diamonds, couldn't find them. He got so depressed, he jumped off a boat as he was crossing the ocean, committed suicide. Well, a few years later, someone had bought his property and was digging and found diamonds. And it became the, the biggest diamond reserve in the world on his property. And, and you know, sometimes, you know, w- we can run here, we can run there, we can go to this conference, we can go to that ministry, we can run all over the world trying to b- get something that's already inside of us. That God has already put deep inside of us. And all we need to do is spend time with him and allow him to show us the treasure that is in us. Amen? And that's what God is calling us to do. So, let's move on. If we don't search the Scripture, we could miss our blessing. And I'll show you that in the Bible. In John chapter 7, verse 40 and 43, it says this. When the crowds heard him say this, you're saying, what did he say? You can go back and read it for homework. Some of them declared... Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting, talking about Jesus. And others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? Now, I was reading this passage to my, doing a devotion with my youngest daughter the other day. And I, for the scripture clearly states that the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David in Bethlehem. All right? And so the crowd was divided about him. Now, where was, everyone knows this, where was Jesus born? But because these people were not willing to search out, do a little digging, do a little research, do a little study, right? They just assume, well, he's from Galilee. If they really, they were missing a piece of information, and because they were missing that piece of information, they missed the blessing, they missed their Messiah. 
And my question to you is, how much are we missing from God because we're not willing to search out the Scripture? How, how, how much are we missing from God because we're not willing to take the time for ourselves to look through the Scripture and see what God has for us? Amen? And, and this is what they did. So they missed the hour of their visitation because nobody had the thought to, you know what, let's do some research about where he was born. Did you see that? They just made an assumption. And so... It's important that we're willing to search the Scripture. And personally, myself, I have chosen, as a person, to remove my worldview filters and look at the Word with fresh eyes every day. God, what are you saying to me? Because so many people, I've heard it so many times, people say, well, my denomination doesn't believe that, you know, healing's for today, and so I believe what they believe. Or I believe this because... You know, my father believed it, my grandfather believed it, so I'm just going to believe it. No, why don't, you, why don't you take some time to study and dig for yourself? Because maybe the ones you're following, your worldview is keeping the blessing from God from flowing in your life. So as a person, I've decided to do that. And I've had people come to me and they try to correct me. I sit down with people sit down all the time and they correct me and say, well, I think you're off on your doctor. Tell me about it. I want to hear it. Tell, tell me what you think I'm doing wrong. And then I'll go back. Okay, thank you so much. I love you. Great. And I'll go to the scripture. No, I'm right. And oh, I could have, maybe they're right about this. Maybe I should change this a little. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to change what I believe because I want to see the fruit. And we get stuck, you know? And did you know that if you, they did some research and they found that it's your left side of the brain, I believe, that is, is more liberal, right? And your right side that is more conservative, right? Is it the other way around? The other way around. Thank you. Um, and 50% of the population is more liberal in their thinking. It's all about emotions and feelings and caring and that. And the other 50% are more conservative. It's about black and white truth. And so you have all, there's, there's no willingness to meet in the middle. Amen? So you, we need, you need to be willing to say, listen, let's work together in this thing, Okay. So here's the thing. We need to understand number one. So number one, right standing with God is a gift of God. It's a gift. And we need to be telling people, listen, I'm saved not because I'm better than you. And this same gift is available to you. Number two, let the gift of right standing shine for all to see. That's the second thing. It says here in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Amen? And so, the kingdom of darkness wants to put fear on the church. Well, stop shining so much. You're offending us. Stop shining so much. But God has called us to shine. Let your light so shine before men so people will glorify your Father in heaven, right? So we need to just keep shining. We need to keep sharing our faith, talking about the things that are important to us. We need to be out in our communities. And it's very interesting. Is like we're a city on a hill, and society wants to put us under a basket. But we need to lift the basket up and say, no, we're going to shine for Jesus, amen? It's so important that we're willing to do that because... Um, we need to reach our world for God. Now, another way we can let our light shine, I have a, a slide, and this is very, very important. We'll bring that up, just a PowerPoint, and I'm going to close in just a minute, is uh, get out and vote. 
Like seriously, October 21st. There's a, if you want to take a picture with your phone, you can go to onitformycanada.com. And there's all kinds of research there that's been done to talk about um, uh, which, which writings, which um, candidates, thank you. What candidates stand more for biblical values? It's uh, very important that you get out and vote, and I'm going to tell you why, okay? Because I can't, from the pulpit, I can't tell you who to vote for. Um, but you need to do your research on this website, because I'm going to tell you, we're, we're, there's a lot of swing ridings right now. They're saying it's like 50-50 right now. So your vote could be the one that brings us into a better tomorrow politically, right? So get out and vote. Do the, do, so there's the research there on it for my com, and then go to www.elections.ca to find out what days you can go do it but get involved because you can be part of making change but we have to get out and do something with that okay and then the last point is bring people to meet god bring people to meet god not your belief in him we have to bring people to meet with god not your belief system and that's very important and my last scripture is John chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John said, and he followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. David, I'll get you to come up to the keyboard. And look at verse 42. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And, you know, that's what this uh, celebration of hope is all about. Maybe God is just calling you to just bring somebody. You know, just talk to them. Hey, do you want to come to this event? Acts chapter 3, verse 19. This is my last scripture right now, I promise. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When people receive Jesus, there's times of refreshing that come. And what is that called? That's called having an encounter with God. And, and you know what? We want to introduce people to the refreshing of the Lord. We want them to understand the presence of God. Once you've experienced the presence of God, there's no turning back. There shouldn't be anyway. And I'm telling you, like, we want to introduce people to the presence of the Lord. And people are willing to repent. They're willing to do anything to meet their maker. What they're not interested in is another religious system of I've got to modify, modify, modify to be accepted. That's not what the gospel's about. The gospel is about the fact that we've all sinned and he's already paid the price. He's not holding your sins against you. If you want to stand for a moment, there's nothing we can do. The gospel is as much, it's just as important to me as a pastor as it is to someone who's never heard it. I'm dependent on what Christ did for me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place, you're saying, I hear this a different way today, and I want to have a relationship with God. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want this guilt that's caused by sin and all this shame. and my pa- I want that to be wiped out of my life. If that's you, you will just lift your hand. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray that you'll get a fresh start today. You're in this place. I don't see any hands. And I'm going to do this every Sunday. I'm going to give it an opportunity for people to get saved to understand the grace of God. Father, I pray for your people right now, every person here under the sound of my voice, God. We're so thankful that you delivered us. We hear all these sermons about David who went out and and, and he, he conquered the giant. 
And we, we hear these sermons about how, you know, we, we can be like David and we can conquer our fears and we can conquer the giants of our lives and all this. But the reality is we're not David. We're the Israelites. We're the ones who stood shaking in our boots because this sin, this, this power, that, this giant that was in front of us. And David represents Jesus who came. And he said, I'll take care of the giant for you. And, and today, we thank you, Jesus, that you're taking care of our giants. You're taking care of the power of darkness that has come over us. And you give us the strength to endure temptation. And we thank you, God. It's all about you. It's all for you. And it has nothing to do with us. And we thank you, God, that you will strengthen us. And you'll help us to get out there and just tell people, listen, there's a free gift available for you. Come and turn to Jesus. Give your heart to him. He's not holding your sin against you. He, he is he's a prodigal father, and he's waiting for you to come home. Give us opportunities this week. Give us grace. Give us courage. Show us who to put these cards, whose hands to put them in this week. I thank you for everything you did. I want you to say this to me. Say, thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. It's all about him, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.